Talking Landscape Photography with Kristen Fletcher and Cowan. Margaret River in WA Southwest is famous for a lot of things. Uh, fine locally produced wine, great restaurants, and daily surf so big the Bondi Rescue Boys would be dead set peeing in their favourite party dresses on a daily basis. Uh, Magic Mushrooms, actually that might be Denmark for that one, Fletch. But it's also known to produce incredible photographic talent. People like um, Martin Perret, welcome to Light Minded. Thank you, Karen, and thank you, Christian. Hi, Martin. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. And yourself? <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, thanks for asking. Most people don't generally ask us how, how we are. Yeah, that's true. So you're the first one. So it oh. must be, maybe it's a cultural thing. Maybe the French are just a little bit more polite. Or oh, maybe it's a Margaret River thing, right? Ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, you're, you're all hippies down that way, so... Mm. That probably makes sense. Yeah. Okay, Margaret River region, I shall say. Yeah, that's right. I'm part of that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's good to have you on. We've um, been wanting to get you on for a long time, and oh, okay. uh, of course, one thing gets in the way of another, and mm. and we'd never get around to to doing anything uh, worthwhile. So, but uh, today we've got to you, which is fantastic because I've got some great questions lined up. Oh, fantastic! You have, you have a very interesting story to tell, and. Um, yeah, we, we really, I think everyone's going to be really interested to hear mm. what you have to say. And um, thank you. Yeah, how's the weather down in Margaret River today? Is it's it, um... hot, muggy, and uh, yeah, a bit overcast. Typical, uh, you have to pass cram up, and then you guys probably are sunny. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's sunny, beautiful, you know, you know, high 20s. Exactly. Can there actually Except be that much shipping? difference What's between Dunsborough and, and Margaret River in? in... You know, in climate, because it's you know, there's only twenty k's difference, really, isn't there? No, it's fifty, but yes, ah. there is a difference. Mm. Um, we we're definitely drier up here, mm. um, and that's that's evident in in the in the bush when you when you come to Dunsborough, the bush isn't as high; it's 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 a bit kind of scrubbier. And but down in Margaret River, you get the beautiful carry trees and stuff like that. So it's Absolutely. much much nicer in that respect. Mm. With the bush. Mm. So when we need sun, I, I always have to drive north, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, mm. Devon, yeah. We, well, like I, I went on a trip to um, Augusta on Christmas Day. It's a long oh. story. Of course, our car broke down, which mm. is another story. Oh. But we went to Augusta thinking, oh, we'll just go down there. It'll be a little bit cooler and, and we'll have Christmas uh, lunch down there with the kids. Mm. Of course, we get down there and it's overcast, blowing a gale. It's, it's about, <laughs> I think it was actually like 17 degrees. You know, and That's what we left Dunsborough, and it was just perfect. None of us took a, a, a jump or anything like that. So we thought, no, nah, this has got knobs on it. Let's head north. So we got as far back as Baranup Forest, and um, and the, the, the sun came out and warmed up. But of course, then the car broke down. So we spent the oh, next no. five hours waiting for a tow truck to get us home. So. Oh, next time, call me, and I'll bring you everything you need. Yeah, oh, fantastic. <laughs> well, we, 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 we needed that. some nice French wine. And, you know, exactly. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> yeah. Or, or actually, Australian, like you know, Margaret River, good, good wine. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, um, I've my first question for you is is uh, uh probably going to be a, a um a big one to answer, but anyway. I, I I really uh, love your story, but uh, it, for over ten years you've been a, a like a photographer for peacekeeping missions with the UN. Yes, so it'd be really great to hear a bit about that and how you got into that. Mm. Okay, um, so ooh, yeah, that's a big one to answer. <laughs> oh, yeah. But let's say um, mm. it's uh, my photography started really. Let's say when I started. Um, 
professionally the photography and or when I decided to become it came actually quite late I was already 28 years old and I was uh, in Sydney and um, so I'll, I'll just keep all of that part but uh, in 2002 after four years uh, working um, and doing some um, how do you say um, shift work you know for mm. uh, temporary work um, or ca sorry casual work for the Australian mm. Financial Review mm. um, in 2002 I decided to photograph the independence of East Timor so I took my you know my two suitcases off I went to East Timor and, and witnessed the independence photography it came back to Sydney and I Actually, I just realized I really missed the, the field and I, I went back again in 2003 uh, as a freelance photographer for about a year and a half and there I met United Nations workers basically and I was really keen to, you know, to actually join the, the club, let's say. Mm -hmm. and. Um, yeah. After I applied to what we called uh, the United Nations Volunteers, there's kind of two branches with the UN, really. There's a branch that deals with New York, and then there's also the United Nations Volunteers, and the headquarters is based in Bonn. And I thought maybe that'd be a little bit easier to start like that. And um, I applied. Obviously, I never heard or anything. Mm -hmm. But out of the blue, after one, one and a half year, I think, um, I actually had a an email saying, "Would you like to um, apply for the role of a of a peacekeeping peacekeeping mission photographer in Burundi?" And I was mm -hmm. like, "Oh wow!" So mm -hmm. I asked, and I said, "Like you mean a hundred percent photographer, not uh, <laughs> because in the UN you have um, roles as a public information officer where." Mm. Um, you know, people do a bit of photography, a bit of writing, a bit of, you know, radio recording, but that's mm. not what I was really interested. I really wanted to, to do purely photography. And they said, mm. yes, yes, it's a, <laughs> yeah. that's the role. And I'm like, okay, I will apply. And, um, and I was successful. So uh, off actually was quite funny because it was in 2004. Mm. And this is also when I made the transition from film to digital photography because um, Canon at the time had brought the EOS 10D mm -hmm. and, I, and I was stuck in Timor actually and I called a friend who was coming to visit, he was a, a journalist friend of mine and I said would you mind picking up the, the Canon 10D for me because I'm not sure what's going to happen in Burundi but I, I think it would be easier for me to have a you know a, a digital camera rather than you know having films and and a lot so so off I went in 2004 and um, I did a, a year as a as a you know mission photographer in Burundi and subsequently I was approached by the mission in the Congo to apply to then not a volunteer role but you know a full-time uh, mission photographer and I again applied and and I was successful and, mm. and you know, subsequently I went from one mission to the next mm. and I think I stopped uh, to avoid being what we called uh, in the jargon of the UN a mission junkie. <laughs> um, yeah. Can we just, um, can, we, can we just go back yeah. to your, uh, just the camera gear for a second? Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the 10D, I think from memory was about seven megapixels or something like that? You know, I, I completely forgot. <laughs> <laughs> but let's say it was the first 
It was the first sort of decent, I think the first decent, uh, let's say, digital camera, because before that, I remember, I can't even remember, but mm. which, which were the cameras before, but uh, that was the first one that produced, you know, reasonable, decent, you know, digital shots. Mm. And so I think, and thank God I did that because mm. um, I remember when I was in East Timor, I was using, uh, you know, a film camera. Mm. And I remember racing sometimes to the lab, having films process and, and using, do you remember the old Nikon Coolscan? Mm. And I was, ca mm. yeah. And yeah. I was, so when I, when I flew the first time to East Timor, what mm. was funny is that I flew not only with my camera gear, but also my scanner and oh, yeah. everything. Yeah, because mm -hmm. uh, you had to, you know, um, scan the films and then um, you could send in a reasonable Anyway, it, it was quite a process actually, and mm. and the, the 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 planes at the time flying from Darwin to East Timor, they were so tiny mm -hmm. that um, it was a juggle to not have my equipment, you know, taken off me, being put at the back of the hold. Mm. I mean, it was a lot of sweat basically mm. um, between and and so no. But to answer your question, Karin, I can't I can't really remember the megapixel. It was okay. It was not brilliant, mm. but it was let's say passable. <laughs> did you did you sort of go? Um, you know, is it is it worth it? You know, when you compared it to your film stuff. Uh, definitely it was worth it because mm. when you work for a peacekeeping mission, it was such a fast, well, firstly, I was not sure how I could, you know, process and, and, and scan and send on time to New York. And it would have been a nightmare, basically, mm. you know, Cowan. And you, you have to remember that you're going to places where there's just nothing. Yeah, yeah. There's just like, you know, I mean, to have access to. So at least in that case, you know, I could, you know, I could process the, the pictures and send them on time to New York. Mm. And they were decent quality because yeah. mostly it was really used for online you know mm. but we did some exhibition actually where we blew them up i mean not obviously as a a0 a1 but we blew them up in a decent side and it was okay so yeah. it was my no i i couldn't have done the job um with the film it would have been a it would have been a disaster actually mm. so um so my friend saved me big time to bring me you know the camera from sydney mm. and off i went to to burundi then and it was in yeah in august 2004. Mm. yeah and I, I can't remember the timeline, but when, when was all the, the real strife, the ethnic cleansing over that way? Was that... Well, you know, the, the civil war in Burundi was a really long civil war between 93 and 2005. Mm. So I arrived really towards the end, but there was, there was still, you know, when I landed in Burundi, it was quite funny because I was here, I was in reasonably peaceful Dili. Well, because it was in 2004. Mm. And and so when I flew to Burundi, one of my best friends actually welcomed me. That was funny because she had arrived two weeks earlier mm. and brought me to this really dodgy hotel in, <laughs> in Bojumbura. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and at night she said, ah, oh, don't worry, in the hills, you'll see the red tracer bullet, but that's okay, it's just a few rebel shots. And I'm mm. like, okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so that was okay, the fireworks are welcoming me. Yeah. But, um, and so, you know, it, it, yeah, it was, and I, I tell you what, actually, Christian, the first thing that's, that struck me on landing, I know it's an odd thing, but we landed and it was really overcast and the light, because you know the light in Australia is so strong, obviously, mm. and yeah. even in East Timor somewhat, 
And so when I landed in Burundi, it was kind of like a disappointment. I was like, oh, that's a bit of a boring light. Like that was my first um, thought. And uh, I know it was very strange, but I tell you what, it was actually really good to photograph people because it was not actually... Contrasting. Yeah, mm. exactly the contrast. But my first reaction was disappointment. I was like, yeah. "Oh, where am I?" Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. a bit dreary. I know, I know. It was it was a strange thought. It was a strange thought. But yeah. uh, no, the, the the mission itself was was obviously extraordinary and mm. um, such a privilege to obviously work for the UN. Yeah. Did you um did you see much um you know terrible stuff over there when you were there mm. at the time? Well, my first job really, uh, well, there was two, two first jobs. It was, it was quite funny because the first job was, so I, I must have arrived, I'm not sure which day, and then a couple of days later my boss said, well, it was a Sunday morning, and she said, right, we've got the big Anton of um, carrying four UN helicopters, so mm. we need you at 7 a.m. on the tarmac. And I was obviously totally unprepared because she said, well, it will be done in an hour. Of course, I should have never, you know, thought it was like that because I arrived at 7 a.m. The Antonov landed probably at 10. I was so underprepared. I hadn't eaten breakfast. I hardly had enough water. And, you know, it was, it was, it, yeah, it was a lesson learned for me. And I thought, all right, I better be prepared for, for the next time. And the mm -hmm. second job was actually to answer your question was the aftermath actually of, um, of a big massacre mm. and um, it, it was mainly women and children, <clears throat> 160 women and children who had been killed and mm. um, but I, I arrived two weeks after so um, it was more, you know, it, it was a really strange and eerie um, plane where we, uh, sorry, um, not a plane, P-L-A-I-N, um, when we arrived and it was empty obviously, the, everyone had been mm you know, taken away. But um, I think all of those first days announced to me the year ahead of me. It was very different for me, Timor. I just realized, okay, I'm in a very different context. Mm. There's a lot of rebel activity and, and militia activity. And so I knew that, um, you know, it would be probably much more somber, you mm. know. Mm. Um, and um, but it's only later that I witnessed, um, not necessarily in Congo, uh, sorry, in Burundi, but in the Congo and in the years after, yeah, I've been in some really tricky um, situation, you know, where people, mm. we get shot at mm. and things like that. And that's yeah. obviously, um, yeah, Man. very scary were, sometimes. Were you, did you fear for your own safety? Like, were you scared? Well, you know, there was that time in Congo, I remember, um, so that was in 2007, and mm. I actually, I, I was in Ituri, which is the eastern part of the Congo, and it takes about a day to fly towards the west of the Congo, where Kinshasa is. It, it takes a day because, you know, we were flying UN flights from one point to the next and change flight, and anyway, and I had a, I had a meeting with my boss at the time. And the minute I landed, um, actually things turned really sour. Mm. Um, I never had the meeting with my boss, mm. and mm. because um, the, the the military clashed with the opponent of, so the military. Sorry, there was the president Kabila and his mm. opponent uh, Bemba, and there was a major clash between the military and the the 
the armed force close to Bemba, if you want. And all of a sudden, a, a city which is, let's say, the size of Sydney, six million people, became completely deserted. And I was asked with my colleagues of the public information to, you know, witness the, you know, the evacuation and everything that was on the ground. So off we went inside an armored personal courier, an APC. Mm. So off we went and yeah, all of a sudden bodies were lying on the ground and, mm. you know, there was no one, but we saw people fleeing and mm. etc. And then at some point, um, the, 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 the APC shook and rattled and I was not sure what happened but I, I heard the sound of a mega explosion and that was actually uh, a mortar shelling just right next to us oh, wow. and we all looked at each other in shock we knew that if it had hit us obviously I wouldn't be here today to talk to you so at that point I think I just realized okay this is really serious like you know uh, it's one thing to have the shot of, uh, you know, an AK-47 against an APC because all you hear is little noise, but all of a sudden, whether it's an RPG or a mortar shelling, then serious. that's it. Yeah, it, I just, and I, at that point, I just thought, um, oh, okay, maybe we shouldn't stay here too long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, well, I, we did the job and I remember also we, I ended up not, so because I had just landed to, to Kinshasa and mm. it was not my, the, the, my base because I was based in Ituri, I was supposed to go to a hotel and I obviously never went to the hotel. I ended up sleeping under the desk for mm. two days and I was, you know, um, yeah, and I was filing obviously photograph um, to to New York, and then I hardly slept because I mean at two a.m. my boss said, "Oh, come on, there's something going on outside," and and so I hardly had the time to even sleep, and off I went again to cover some nighttime, you know, events, and so hmm. it was pretty full on. And, that's um, that, but that's why, but that's why you're there, right? I mean, you 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 you're there to cover those. those but but events. you you say that. Yeah. And you were in an APC that was, yeah. was mortared pretty much. And, I mean, next to, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, that's probably close as you ever, ever want to yeah. get. Um, yeah. Forced to sleep under a desk in a hotel, you know, in, in a war zone. Most people would need psychological help after that. And, I mean, look, I'm not, you know, that's, that's pretty full yeah. on. Like, how did you compartmentalise yeah. that and just get on with it? I think... Um, I think because you're there on the moment and that's the job you're supposed to do and you don't really think and I think probably the rush of adrenaline keeps you going, you know, because uh, and you often process things after. Mm. So on the moment, you that's well, the, the only thing I have to say, though, after a, a day and a half of working full on, my boss wanted me to cover something else. And at that point, I said, look, if you don't mind, can you send someone else in the APC yeah. because I'm just exhausted, you yeah. know. So but um but I guess because it's such an important work and, and I mean, if you're not doing it, who's going to do it really? And, and so um, you, you just keep do, doing what mm. you have to do, obviously. And obviously we were exhausted and we hadn't showered properly and <laughs> we hadn't eaten properly. And, and, um, and I remember after yeah, a couple of days, finally, um, we, all, we all went inside the car, my boss who took us um, to actually someone's place who was trapped in another part of the city. But he said, well, let, 
we, we can sleep in that person's apartment and shower and whatever. So off we went. I was actually really scared even at that point of the snipers mm. because we drove. It was really eerie. There was, like I said, no one on the streets. And I yeah. thought, oh, my God. And you would have been but, a target. So you would have been a prime uh, yeah, target. Yeah, completely. And I thought, oh, what are we doing? You know, anyway, off we went. Mm. And then, um, oh, and then on top of that, we arrived in front of the apartment. The, 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 the Of course, the garage was closed. Mm. And we banged on the door. Oh, no, we, we didn't bang. So we... We beeped the horn, it took forever for the person to obviously open the door because mm. I guess the person would have been scared who the hell it is. Mm -hmm. And so meanwhile, I was thinking, oh, no, that's not a good idea. Anyway, off we, we went inside and and we went in someone's apartment. I don't even know who who whose <laughs> apartment it's. But overnight, we, we heard obviously the shellings and everything. And I think at that point, I just realized what it could mean you know, I was thinking of children who who live in those conditions all the time and hear bombing and shelling, and mm. I thought that's horrible, really. It's mm. really just not a nice place to be. Mm. But um, but yeah, but, but we continued the work, and I, and I remember the next day as well, we had put a camera next to a window on the fifth floor where the... Um, the SRG is a special representative of the Secretary General was was and we, we left a camera next to his office to keep rolling and then we came back a few hours later mm. and there was a shot that had gone through the window. And so yeah, it was just um Far constantly out. something was happening like that. So That's incredible. um yeah, it was pretty mm. full on. <laughs> do, you, do you think that it was harder to enter these conflict zones as a woman or did it not make any difference? Yeah, I don't think I did. I didn't think in my case. I, I don't know. I never really. It's interesting because you know those questions came more after when I came back to Australia. Yeah. When I was in, um, I never really thought too much about it when I was there because uh, I was there to do a job and my peers, my colleagues, well, we were a mix of men and women, obviously. Most of the time, the peacekeeping, the military were more often men than women that's yeah. true so i was you sometimes like i remember in in south sudan going to akobo and i was completely surrounded by men yeah. um military men and i remember the camp uh was very basic yeah. we were sleeping under tents and in fact to the point that I think the UN had not really thought that a woman would really stay there overnight. So I was sleeping in a in a larger tent where there was only men, and at one point I felt a little bit uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So um, I remember I took my sleeping bag in the middle of the night and I went to another tent where there were other troops. But I said, "Do you mind if I share? I just feel a little bit uncomfortable there." But um, mm -hmm. um, yeah, usually it was. I never really thought about it, you know. Um, to mm. be to be honest with you, because I was really so focused in my job mm. that I, you know, I was there to do, you know, a, a peacekeeping mission. You have a mandate, and and the work of the photographer is to follow the mandate of the mission in some ways. Mm. I was, and, and you know, it's so intense. The work every day is very different. Every day is fast paced. I mean, usually, uh, you don't really have too much time to think. That's why when I first came to Margaret River, mm. I was really shocked because, uh, <laughs> you know, like I would send an email to somebody and it would take four days to reply, you know, to my email. <laughs> and I thought, 
that yeah. cannot happen in a peacekeeping mission context. Yeah. You know? Actually, that's um, that's quite quite interesting thing. In you, I mean, if we can fast forward into your normal life now, sure, you know, sure. if somebody cuts you off in traffic or they, you know, stuff your order up at Macca's, you, you probably it probably doesn't even register on the annoyance scale. Oh, you mean in terms of uh, well, yeah, I think. I think I had it's it's like almost you feel schizophrenic in a sense that you have two lives, right? You have mm. one there and one here, and it's very different. So you have to kind of. When I first came here, I was I, I felt that crash at two hundred k an hour against a wall. You know, mm. that's how it felt, mm. and I was kind of okay. I have to really slow right down because. Um, like I remember even with, when, when David and I found a place to live, there was, well, firstly, financially, I don't think we could have afford, you know, a place, you know, the idyllic place in the country with, you know, 3,000 acres or whatever it is. Mm. But, but even if we did, I would have had too much uh, scare, I think, at night. You know, like thinking like, oh, some our men are going to just come home. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Like because yeah, I was coming yeah. straight from South Sudan, there was no way I would have lived on a property. Yeah, I mm. was, uh, uh, we were in town, and yeah. I was definitely locking myself at night, yeah, and yeah. even locking myself inside my car. First, there was a reflex that you had in the peacekeeping context. I can reassure you, years later, I'm, <laughs> I'm a bit yeah. more relaxed. Well, I suppose <laughs> you know. I suppose in Margaret River, I mean, the worst thing that can happen is somebody breaks in and steals your uh, herb garden. <laughs> or maybe you hit a kangaroo or something, you know. Uh... <laughs> that was Martine Paray. Hopefully, she's going to be back with us in another uh, couple of weeks' time. Look, we've had some constructive criticism uh, recently that um, some people are saying they'd like to see our podcast be a little bit shorter just so they can listen to them in, in the car on the way to work so what we're going to do is try and make them a little bit more concise you might see a, uh, a slight difference in our style uh, if you're on Instagram and you're in the car at the moment don't do this right now but when you get to work make sure you add us to your Instagram uh, just do a search for light-minded podcast go ahead and do it right now join the call kids join the party we're going to see you next week thanks for listening to light-minded bye